0: What's up, everybody? And welcome to another Boardroom Out of Office podcast. This is podcast number 40, the 4040 Club. We got a special one this week. My man G ain't here with me right now, but we are going to bring you a recent boardroom university that we did. We did it for over 10 schools in New York. I think we had over 2,000 people. Signed on, 3,000 people. And we had CeCe Sabathia and Sabrina Ionescu from the New York Liberty. Incredible conversation. We had a QA and a at the end. I asked a bunch of questions. CC had to run at the very, very end. But it was a great combo. Nice hour talk with two New York City legends. And I think talking about New York sports is important. Right now, the climate in New York is incredible. Nets, incredible. Knicks, incredible. Uh, Rangers may miss the playoffs, but they got great young players. My Mets are playing all right, but they look great. We got a great team, great ownership. Yankees, obviously, will always be all right. Jets had a good draft. Great GM joe douglas you know i like darnold but i think zach wilson will be a stud and my giants i mean say no more my giants are gonna rock so you know my giants got a solid solid draft we have a lot of skill players from my man danny jones our defense is solid we got a great edge rusher from georgia all right i'm done talking my shit so listen boardroom university sabrina ionescu sabrina ionescu cc sabathia cc sabathia i'm saying everything twice richie two times Podcast number 40. Enjoy.
1: I will just say thank you again to Boardroom University for letting Pepsi be a part of this. We are so happy uh, and thankful to do it. Uh, and I will turn it back over to Rich for the main event. And I'm uh, really excited to hear
2: what these guys have to say. Thanks so much. Thank you, Justin. Thank you again for your support of the whole program. And welcome, everybody, to Boardroom University. Boardroom University is a program that we started within the Boardroom Sports Business brand to allow college students uh, direct access to some of the greatest minds in sports and business. Represented with us today, we have over 10 schools for the New York area, including my favorite college basketball team, the St. John's Red Storm. We're gonna take some questions at the end. Um, if we have time, we're gonna try to get to it the last 15 minutes, so I'll call a few students up. This is the last in our series of boardroom university programs and as a born and bred New York City kid, this is the one I'm most excited for. And with us today, I want to welcome two very special guests and two New Yorkers, one very recent and one who spent a good deal of time here Cece Sabathia, the recently retired New York City Yankee legend and one of the greatest college basketball players of all time, and the New York Liberties first pick, Sabrina Ionescu. What's up, guys? Welcome and thank you for joining. Thanks for having me.
3: Thank you.
2: You guys feel like New Yorkers? Well, Cece, you're a New Yorker, but Sabrina, are you feeling like a New Yorker yet?
3: Not yet. This is day like four of being out here, so I need to, you know, take a little bit more time before yeah. I can call myself out. Take
4: a little longer, yeah. <laughs> By the end of the summer, you'll be a New Yorker. You'll be okay.
2: <laughs> um, so we have an hour today. Cece, I know you have a little bit more time, so I want to get right into it. And, The conversation that I'm going to ask and start with is similar to my podcast where I have an opportunity to speak to these like incredible minds in business and in technology and sports. And I've asked all of them this, which is if you guys can identify each one of you, that moment in your childhood, that like inflection point where you locked in, where you knew that your eyes were set on this bigger goal and you identified it and it was that at all costs. Why don't you go first? Sabrina, take it.
3: Me. Okay. Um, I think that that moment for me was, I was maybe in like fourth or fifth grade and all I was talking about doing, um, you know, my free time, it was all basketball. Um, I came to school with the basketball. I took the garbage out with the basketball. I just completely fell in love with the game and I didn't really let anyone around me um kind of dictate that. I didn't let kids make fun of me at school for doing it. I didn't really care. I was just like, I love this and no one can take it away from me. And so I think from a really young age, falling in love with the game and not really, you know, buying into what everyone else thought that I should be doing and just kind of sticking with the plan is what I've done so far and it's worked for me. And um it's kind of all I know because it's been, you know, my entire life.
4: Yeah. For for me, um uh, it was 14. Um, when I got freshman year of high school, um, you know, I always played baseball. I started playing baseball when I was 14, uh, four years old, but I played other sports too. I, I played football. I played basketball, but baseball was just always the easiest one. And my sum the summer when I was turned 14, it was like, cause I grew up around a lot of good baseball players. Obviously I grew up in the head. I grew up in Vallejo, California, but it's a baseball town and we have a lot of good players. And by the time I was 14, I was like, man, I'm, I'm a little better than everybody around here. You know what I'm saying? And, and I got on the team in Sacramento and got a chance to travel around the country and and figured out that I was pretty good and just kind of locked in on baseball. And, and, you know, but ninth grade, I think 14 is, is when I really figured out that this could be a career.
2: So I think for athletes, it's always a little bit earlier. And I think entrepreneurs you know, at times take a very non-traditional path. But there is that point where you do it. And when you do it, I think the people around you can do one of two things. A lot of times people with insane drive, you know, the people around them think they're nuts and they knock them and they tell them that, you know, there's just no chance that you're going to make it from where you are to, to do what you did. You know, and I think everybody that has some level of success feels that way. I think students that dream big feel that way. What were the kind of support systems around you and like those kind of challenges and trying to get the people around you to kind of believe? because. It is important when you're chasing something that, you know, when so few people have that opportunity, it's wild from that vantage point. Um, so CeCe, why don't you let me know that? Uh,
4: I think the, the the biggest thing, like my, my parents were a huge support system for me, but my high school baseball coach, like he really just took an interest. I think he saw, you know, the talent that I had and, you know, kind of the environment that I was in, I could either go this way, you know, or, you know, the the kind of the bad route. And he just took an interest in me and, you know, I was with him every day. He made he made sure that I was TAing in his classes, and you know, always checking in on me, different things. So um, he was a huge influence, and you know, me kind of staying the straight and narrow, and kind of seeing that light, you know, at the end of the tunnel where I could, you know, kind of you know make a career and, and make a path for myself.
3: I would say my high school coach for sure. Um, he started coaching me when I was really young, and so he definitely kept me on that path, and then. I think it's really also about like the circle of people that you have and who you trust. I think it's, you know, you can get distracted with the wrong group of friends and the wrong people at a young age, but I think having like a close circle of people that you really trust that are on the same path and have the same vision for you, which is to do what you love and be successful. I think that's, you know, what I had at at a really young age with my family and my coaches and I still have to this day.
2: Yeah, man, there's like a reckless abandon that I think an entrepreneur has. I was joking with someone right before this about this phone call I made at 13 to the Nick's front office. Just like, you know, the, the gall of me to think that I could call and like just introduce myself. And I was trying to make a trade. True story I was trying to make a trade. And the idea that like I loved it so much kind of kept me focused no matter what was happening. And there are challenges that come along the way. Um, and again, for athletes, it starts much earlier. But there are moments that I can identify where, like within the kind of reckless abandon to get what you want. Right? So, if you're a kid in college, sitting and you have a path in front of you, but every one of us is have our own thoughts and what we're dreaming for, right? But at some point, a challenge comes, and you got to make a decision. I and mean, you can think about your financial situation. You think about the people around you. It could just be doubt. But there's a challenge or a moment where you're like, you know what, I did it, right? I made the decision, look back on it and you say, that was that moment where I wouldn't have been CC Sabathia if I had done that. Can you identify that? Like, that? do you know that moment in your life or in either one of your careers so far in your lives where that could have been it, that could have been the thing where you could have listened to that person or, or a performance that happened or a situation with your family could have thrown it off, but you stayed the course.
4: I think for me it was the minor leagues, like all throughout the minor leagues. Like I, you know, I got drafted really young. I was 17 years old. And then, you know, in baseball, you're not going, you're not going to the big leagues. Like you go into like I went to Burlington, North Carolina. So like I get dropped off and I'm I go from high school games to now I'm a pro. Now this is every day. You know, like I'm used to my I'm going home, my mom washed my uniform now. You know what I'm saying? Like we got clubhouse guys. Like you gotta figure out everything pretty quick. I'm you know, I'm 17 years old, so just like just trying to figure out how to grow up and, and be mature at the same time as is, is starting, you know, baseball is now a job. It's not like for fun anymore. I'm not doing this in the summertime. This ain't, you know, like this is life or death. This is my career. So I think, you know, for me in the minor leagues, I struggled um, yeah. at the beginning and and I was like, I didn't know if it was for me. I, I contemplated going back to college to play football. I had a football scholarship in Hawaii. I was like, man, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should go back. Maybe this ain't the life I want. You know what I mean? So, definitely those early years in the minor leagues. And a, a big person that helped me was my wife. Um, Amber used to come out all the time in the summertime when, when she was in school and she would just talk me through it. Like, you know, you got this, you want to do, it's going to be rough, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, those early years in the minor leagues were, were really tough for me, though. And, and having the support of my wife and my girlfriend at the time um, was used for me. And Sabrina, I would imagine like last
2: year, right, you're very young and your career is – it's just starting and last year you suffer an injury um, which was a challenge that you know you weren't expecting clearly and it was happening in the middle of like a challenging time in everyone's lives was that something that you really felt like for the first time you were digging in somewhere that you had never really had to go to get through something
3: definitely I think you know through my career it was all like losing was the big thing that I always had to deal with because of you know how competitive I was and all the adversity that I faced, you know, being on a team, but my health really was never an issue. I mean, I'd have little things here and there, but I, I never, you know, God willing had a se- like season ending injury. And so last year, you know, playing professional for the first time getting drafted and then two games into my season, uh, you know, hurting my ankle and being out for the rest of the season was really hard. I, I had to kind of dig into channels that I've, I've never had to do, which was, finding a group that was able to uplift me during times that, you know, I was negative. And when you get removed from the game and from something that you've been doing your whole life and love doing, it, it's definitely really hard. You kind of have to find your own passion. And I think it puts a lot of things in a perspective of just how blessed, you know, we all are to do what we do every day and not take it for granted and kind of just be where your feet are, take it one day at a time. And, you know, things things are going to happen the way they do. You can't control it and um, kind of just be uh, opportunistic and optimistic about everything.
2: Yeah. You know, we we interviewed Jimmy Ivey for a boardroom university at USC and talked to the kids about just how bad he felt for them because students more than as much as anyone, but at times more than anyone really suffered during this time because clearly their age and the uncertainty of what was going on, but also, you know, if you loved what you did and, and for you it was rehabbing and, you know, for you it's probably still being around the game and your, your family. But, you know, if you didn't love what you did during the last year, it, was, it could be extra challenging. And loving what you do and I love what I do for a profession, it allowed you an escape. It allowed you to go somewhere where you could be so effective no matter what the environment is. And, you know, when you're in college, it's, you may love parts of it, but there's, you know, it's, it's, it's a different kind of work and focus and you're finding yourself and for athletes, that happens anyway at other times. When we did the documentary on Stefan Marbury. And when I was looking the, at the footage, a basketball player from New York City grew up. He was a high school legend. And in the clip, he said, you know, I kind of miss when basketball was fun, when it wasn't about the business and, and, and the money. He was 13 years old in the clip, which was just mind-blowing to see a 13-year-old kid already talking about that. Um, I'm sure for both of you and and Sabrina, it's gotten younger and younger and younger as it's gone on where like, what is so fun about what you do and why you started this? You just realize, okay, here's the business side. This is what I heard about. Here's the money. Here's the people that don't maybe have my best interest. Did that happen for each of you guys, um, at a particular time that you can talk about?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it. It happened pretty recently, I think, you know, graduating college a little bit over a year ago and then having, you know, to, to go pro and then start making business decisions right away, which was, you know, if I was going to sign with Nike, um, just all these endorsement deals that were getting thrown at me. And in a, in a really short amount of time, I had to make a dec- decision of who I was going to sign with. Because the season was starting right away, and so I definitely think I learned a lot about myself, but also just the business world um, during that time. Because at the end of the day, people can tell you, you know, what you want to hear, but I think it really comes down to what is reality and what you know what you can do for them, but what they can do for you as well. And it's not only you know a business; sometimes it is a partnership. You you do want to align with someone that has the same goals and values as you do, and so there definitely was a lot of kind of digging and trying to figure out, you know, where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. But at the end of the day, I really just went with my heart and went with, you know, the people that I trusted and, and thought were, um, you know, had the best interest for me. And I've been blessed, and I think I've made the right decision.
4: You did. Yeah, that's, that's a hard thing to go through at the, at the beginning, um, you know, trying to figure out and navigate, you know, who to trust and, you know, all these different things. That the, you know, when I first signed, I didn't have an agent. Me and my mom didn't trust anybody. We didn't, you know... All these different guys came in the living room. It was Boris. It was this, it was that. And we just sat there and was like, eh, ah, nah, nah, nah. So my mom did my deal. You know, like I didn't I didn't have an agent until I was a year into my career. You know, not until I needed somebody to talk to the team for me. So, you know, just trying to navigate and figure out all of that stuff. You know, luckily I got a chance to, you know, hook up a rock nation down the line and get everything straightened out. But yeah, I mean, I was that was a tough, you know, uh, deal trying to figure out right at the beginning, you know, how are we going to deal with all this money? I mean, obviously, you know, we had no money management, you know, somebody dropped off $1.3 million in the, in the, you know, in the hood to us. like, we didn't know what to do with it. So it was, it was, uh it was tough, you know, it was tough slaying trying to figure that out, me and my mom at the beginning. But, you know, luckily we, we got the right people around us and, you know, we're able to, to you know, put our money in the right spots and, and uh, you know, figure everything out for, for our family at the time.
2: Yeah. Well, the thing is, though, too, like the time in which you turned pro, um, it wasn't kind of the thing to do to start your business when you're that young. Like when you're a rookie in the league, you you really shouldn't have been talking about your business at that point. Right. Where now um, you're a first pick in the draft and you're playing in New York City for Sabrina. People are asking her. Right off the bat, outside of just the game, you know, like, what are you doing in the film world? You know, I'd love you to come meet my friend that is in real estate where, you know, you really got into it. It felt like when you moved to New York, where you got into it on a different level, was your arrival in New York the time where you kind of felt like all right, you started seeing, you know, LeBron to me was the first person that like from the beginning of his career and through like flawlessly built this kind of enterprise that clearly never took away from what he was doing on the court right but mm-hmm. um and then players have modeled since then but was it your arrival in new york where you started kind of creating cc enterprise
4: yeah it was and, and, and i think it was social media you know and i think you really seen lebron's stuff and everybody else's stuff kind of okay. take off door, you know the social media area but like like you said like when i first came up to me to be talking about like a deal with pepsi or whoever else like Chuck Finley, Dave Berber, they would have been like, are you kidding me? Like, you need to worry about pitching, and that's it. Like, there was nothing else other than the game. Like, there was no business outside of the game. You know what I'm saying? Now you come up and you're a first-round pick, you're expected to have other things outside of, of, you know, basketball or baseball or whatever it is. So, yeah, I mean, it it changed so much. And I think it's – and like I said, I mean, I I just think it's changed just in my time in New York and just seeing, you know, everything with social media and people having – fans having direct access to the players. When wow. I first came up, there was none of that. Everything you had to do was through the newspaper or, you know, through Sports Illustrated or somebody had to see you on This Week in Baseball or, you right. know, you know what I'm saying? So, like, we grew up in a different area from now where now you can just get on your phone and it's con- that's content right there. So yeah. companies can go straight to your page and, and see everything where before it had to be through Sports Illustrated or some feature that somebody had to do on you.
2: Yeah, and if somebody was announced, like if I had read as a kid that Patrick Ewing – was producing a film in the off season, I'd be like, man, what's going on? Like, (laughs) that's not focused. But now if you read that Sabrina is producing a film, they're going to to talk about how incredibly well versed she is and this is what a superstar does. I want to see what your advice to Sabrina would be in this regard. I asked, uh, we had LeBron and Kevin on the first season of Borgry. And I'm like, how could I not ask LeBron James, you know, at the pinnacle of this, what do you would tell a young athlete that was listening that wanted to get into business? And, you know, what his answer was clearly like a it's you gotta love the sport and, and make sure your commitment has been like you've checked every box and you're locked in from that standpoint, but also to learn what you love before you maybe just say you're getting into business, you know, like, cause so many things are coming at you. And I know that's the case for Sabrina. What kind of advice would you give? Because you guys are in rare air. It doesn't matter if you play a different sport, when you're the best at what you do, there's a different situation that only you guys can kind of understand and speak to.
4: No, I mean, that's great advice is just lock in on your sport. Obviously, we know, you know, she works hard and locks in on basketball. She wouldn't be the first pick if she wasn't. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, just work, lock in, work it, work hard on your sport. And if you do great things on the court, everything off the court will come to you even easier. Um, but, you know, have a person that you can – You know, cipher all these things through because there are going to be a million people that's going to come at you with different ideas, and a lot of the stuff sounds great. So to have somebody that you can bounce some of the stuff off of, and you know, even you know, some of your friends are going to come at you with stuff. Somebody that can like, you know, keep your relationships cool, but still tell those people no is uh, is a great person. Is a great person to have. I'm telling you, just because you don't want to ruin relationships. Like me, I'll just not pick up the phone. Rich, no, like I'll just. If it's something that I don't want to do or I don't want to be around somebody, I just won't. I won't even deal with it. But to have somebody, you know, like a go with, a go between to, you know, to buffer all of that stuff, I think is huge, especially here in New York.
2: Yeah. What What kind of New York advice um, on top of that? Because you know, like you said, Sabrina, you've been here four days, but if let's talk in ten days, you're going to know ten thousand <laughs> more people. Is there anything <laughs> about navigating New York uh, you want to kind of lend advice on as well?
4: I mean, I, I think, for you know, just being an athlete, I mean, just be yourself, play hard, and they're going to love you. You know what I mean? If, if you just be authentic and be yourself. I was so nervous when I got – I didn't want to come here, to be honest. Just because of the media and everything, you know, being a Yankee and all those different things, I thought it was going to be too much. You know, I'm a laid-back guy. I don't I don't take baseball as serious as people, you know, would like me to, you know, at some points in my career. And I thought it would be a problem here in New York, but I, I loved it. Just being myself and being authentic and the fans love me and and, and I've had a great relationship. So if you can make it work here, this is the greatest city on earth to to, to play sports in. It's awesome.
2: Sabrina, are there goals that you have as you start your career? Not New York related, but, you know, and and do you feel a responsibility um, around the conversation of advancing women's sports as you build your career? Because, you know, there's a focus on the court you have to maintain but there are a lot of eyeballs on you and it is, you know, an incredible time where there's a lot of conversation and the opportunity to advance women's sports is being spoken about deservedly. So is there an extra responsibility you feel at all? And what kind of goals do you have, you know, as you start your professional career?
3: Yeah, I don't think that I I put too much pressure on myself. Um, I think I know that there's external pressure and expectation for me to do that because I'm blessed with the platform Mm -hmm to influence those around me and to influence a lot of, you know, young athletes um, that are looking up, you know, to me because of the platform that I have. But I think I've realized from you know going through college and having that platform. And um, I think I've realized that as long as I stay focused on doing what I do on the court and um, doing it to the best of my ability every single day and focusing on what I can control, everything else, you know, takes care of itself. And I know today, especially like we were talking about earlier with social media being so big in today's day and age, I, I, I am definitely learning that, um, you know, with this opportunity and this platform that I have, I am influential and I do kind of have, Um, you know, this opportunity to not only play the sport that I love, but also do more, which is impact those around me, influence a lot of young girls and make change. And I think obviously it's only my first year in the league and I'm still young and learning how to do that. But it's definitely something that I have, you know, a passion in doing and want to do more just to continue to pave the way for a lot of other um, female athletes coming um, kind of in this pipeline of playing sports in this day and age.
2: Um so i'm gonna I'm gonna bring two students two or three students up in a minute. I want to ask last question for each of you guys. Uh, I'm really into this question lately when I had a chance to speak to an athlete like you guys is, is there a game that still keeps you up at night like no matter when you mention it, no matter the time of day, if someone gets into it, that same emotion comes out where you like you feel like you were there yesterday and you knew
4: that that opportunity is never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't, I mean, I don't have that in a bad way. Like, like, I just always remember 2012 ALDS, like game five, like, that's just one of my favorite games that I ever pitched. So like, if somebody always asks me about my favorite game, or like, if I'm thinking about, you know, my career or something, I just always go back to that game. But like, in a bad way? Nah, I don't really, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any of those games where like, I'm like, eh. I mean, I I just let it go.
2: That's you had a pretty good career though. That sounds like you dominated throughout. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Uh,
3: I I have some good ones, like some games that I'm just like, yeah, like we beat you. Um, and then <laughs> uh, obviously there there's a couple bad ones. Like there's a Final Four game that I wish I could have got back two years ago because we didn't have the opportunity to play in a Final Four in my last you know, season at Oregon because the pandemic hit and canceled our NCAA tournament. So there are a few that it's, it's like, I wish that I knew back then, you know, what I knew was coming because maybe I, I could have done even more. And so that's always something that I kind of, you know, wish that I could get back, but also I think it just puts into perspective, like you don't get a second chance with doing a lot of things. So be the best and do the best that you can when you have the opportunity, because you never know when you're going to get another one.
4: Yep. Yeah, that's why I always got so much respect for Olympic athletes, because they get, you know, they train for 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 three years to get one shot to like, you know, and the lights are on. So if you like, I couldn't imagine having, you know, training for three years to get one chance to pitch at Yankee Stadium. Like, that's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you don't pitch good, then you, that sits with you for the rest <laughs> of your life. Like, that's, that's rough. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um all right well thank you guys uh it's been incredible i'm going to bring up our first guest our first question who's going to come up to the screen sandy paulino or david williamson how's it going guys rich thank you for hosting sabrina and cc thank you for coming on speaking to all of us my question to cc mostly because sabrina has only been here for four days would be you hear about the added pressure of new york playing in new york city where does that external pressure added pressure come
4: from uh, I think the external pressure comes from the media. And, you know, um, you know, if the Yankees are playing bad, you know, it leads Sports Center. You know, if, if the Indians are playing bad, then it's buried in sports center. You know what I'm saying? Like they need you in you that right locker room in. right now. <laughs> the, yeah, the Yankees right now are six and eleven, and that's all anybody's talking about. Like we're 15 games into the season. The season don't end until October, but people are just so enamored with the Yankees doing bad or anything that, you know, happens in our clubhouse is is gonna lead. Any newspaper, any sports, any sports uh, column, any any sports show. So that's where all that pressure comes from. It's just, it's just the pinstripes are really heavy.
2: Is it weird that it's a Mets town now? <laughs>
4: <laughs> not, not yet, <laughs> not yet. 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 Is that it? It's it. It will never be a Mets town, as much as like people want it to be. And and I always say this, like Mets fans, I, and and I don't want people to take this the wrong way. Mets fans are the real fans in New York. Because it's easy to be a Yankee fan because we win all the time. If you're putting up with the with the Mets and that shit that they do over there in City Field and Queens, like <laughs> you are a real fan. So <laughs> Thank you. I gotta get a Mets fan props.
2: <laughs> I appreciate that answer. <laughs> Thanks, David. Of course. Uh, and now I, I I I think I got this right this time. Sam Samantha Radlibek.
3: Yep,
1: that's me. Hi. Thank you guys so much for coming to talk with us today. Both of you are incredible. Um, And my question is more towards Sabrina. Um, I know that moving to New York is probably such a huge adjustment for you and um, especially everything that you have going on, like in the business world and your deal with Nike and everything. And I'm just wondering, like, how moving to new york has affected like your business development or just any roadblocks you faced as a woman like going through all of this for the first time and what advice would you give to aspiring young business um
3: well that's a great question and i think a lo- it's almost harder during a pandemic as well because everything's kind of been put on hold you know you can't meet with a lot of people in person everything's through zoom, your, your agents and people are trying to make deals happen through people over the phone. And I think what I'm almost really excited about to get to New York, hopefully when this stuff kind of starts clearing up is just being able to connect and make relationships with people here, because I haven't really met a whole lot of people here. It's, you know, a lot of my business and things that I've been doing has been on the West coast. And so that's what I think I'm, I'm really excited for, but I think in advice that, you know, I would give girls or anyone that's looking to get in the, business world is to just do the, to do it. There's no, you know, nothing's too crazy, whatever it is that you're dreaming about wanting to do whatever you're demanding, whether it's you wanting to get the same opportunity as a guy's getting or, or a deal that a guy's getting, I think, especially, you know, with me playing basketball and having a lot of friends that play in the NBA and being able to talk to them and hear about the deals that they're, that they're getting and hear about, you know, what their business, partners are offering them. I think for me, it's not like, oh, that's cool. I guess I'll take something less. It's almost like, well, why don't I deserve this? Like I, I deserved just what you're getting because I put in the same amount of work and I go through the same grind as you do. And so I think it's having just that level of expectation for yourself. And even though maybe the media or people in our society today, don't view us as equal. I think you really have to be true to yourself and view yourself as equal for everything that you do and don't be afraid or ashamed to demand, you know, what you, what is really in your core. And that's, you know, for me is equality and I, hopefully for everyone else's as well.
2: Thank you. Samantha. I'm not even gonna say names anymore. Who's next? <laughs> <laughs> Samantha Wu.
1: Thank you. Hello. Sorry. I think my Zoom kicked off for a second. Um, First of all, thank you so much. Um, I loved hearing about your different experiences. My question is actually for Rich. Um, I'm a marketing major, so I'd love to hear what advice you would give to someone in their 20s who's looking to enter the business world in New York. Um, And if there's anything you did in your early 20s that you would do differently.
0: Yes. That's for
2: sure. In my early 20s, I would do a lot differently. But I think Justin gave good advice before uh, before the conversation. I, I do think that being in New York affords you at any level an incredible network of people. And it doesn't have to just be incredible people in business. It's just the incredible people around the city. And the amount of people that I knew and that I kept in touch with, when I kind of finally level set, you, I realized that I had built a great network for myself and that the people that I met at every level and that created real friendships with then ultimately did turn into people that I could do business with, could become family friends with. And I do think that the network through every one of my uh, past um, allowed me to also stay in touch, which was another thing Justin said. And, and now you don't have to meet people as much to do that, you know, through social media. But being able to talk about so many things, like if you want to walk in a room now and you don't have any knowledge of what an NFT is or what's going on in the world, of crypto or you just don't understand it. In this world, in this orbit of wanting to market in the entertainment business or sports, you're just gonna be at a disadvantage. And that information is accessible to you. So I really think it's just about like really connecting the people that you meet along the way and developing real friendships, regardless of what the business outcome may be, but develop real friendships and support and to just stay in touch. Like if people are gonna be on Instagram all day, There's stuff on Instagram that can help further your career. It's entertaining, but it's also information that you can use as you build your career.
3: That's
1: great. Thank you. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you. That was a curveball question for me. I like that. (laughs) Sandy, welcome. How you doing? Thank you for the fourth time for making this a monumental event. Uh, My question is for Cece. So after spending about a decade in New York, how have you
1: seen Black business progress here and where do you think it's going? Like, where do you think it's moving?
4: Um, I've definitely seen it progressing. I mean, you know, if you just look at Harlem and the amount of, you know, different stores and, and storefronts has popped up, you know, even with Dapper Dan putting a Gucci uh, store in there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen, you know, the black businesses kick up, especially up in, in, you know, uptown and around the stadium and different things like that. And, you know, hopefully it just continues to keep growing. Um, you know, we need to keep supporting, um, you know, and, and keep going out and keeping the dollar in the community. But, yeah, I mean, since I've since I've gotten here, just watching, you know, the way the Harlem Harlem has developed um, in the last 12 years, it's, it's been exciting to see.
2: Yeah, thank you. I definitely feel like that point about kind of putting the money back to the community. is important. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Andrew. Getting a view from a lot of dorm
0: rooms.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hi, thank you so much. Y'all are awesome. I'm so excited to be a part of this. Um, I have a question for Sabrina. I was wondering if you could talk about some of the differences in the basketball culture that you've experienced in your life going from Oregon and just kind of things that you've seen, I guess, from the outside watching the team in New York.
3: Yeah, so I haven't gotten to experience too much because we played in a bubble last year, which was not ideal. Um, But I think just entering, you know, a professional league from being in Oregon, Oregon's Oregon's kind of a bubble in itself. Um, I loved everything about the university and the athletic program, but it's definitely very small. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people, especially in college, um, necessarily know how to use their voice and platform. And I think once entering into a pro- my professional career even though it was short last year because I got hurt and left the bubble I think being around so many women that use their voice you know for the better and make change and empower one another was huge I mean even in the bubble with everything that was going on last year uh, and we're competitors on and off the court and you're always competing against one another I think you know the women all held um, meetings and talks together as an entire league to make change for everything that we wanted to make change for. And so I think that's super powerful, you know, being able to not only empower yourself for whatever your business is, but also being able to empower everyone around you and kind of grow the brand of like women in sports together.
1: Totally. I love it. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you.
4: I have a quick question for Sabrina did that help like being in the bubble like being around everybody else and like seeing their routines and like getting a chance to like I don't know like just if Sue Bird's over here doing something like getting a chance to like actually see her like I couldn't imagine being a rookie and like having a chance to be around some of these big time players if you actually like in the bubble setting how was that
3: yeah as a competitor it was different because you almost didn't have any time away like there was no separation between your work your your business like basketball and just like relaxing time because anytime that I would go like grab a bite to eat downstairs in the hotel someone was going to the gym so I was like I'm going upstairs getting my bag and I'm going to the gym (laughs) so there was no like opportunity to kind of just like detach and like not worry about everything going on but it was also really awesome to be in a bubble and you're in your hotel room you're looking out the window and there's players that are doing push-ups and running on the field and pushing one another to get better and then you're like oh like that's what it's that's what being a pro is and so I think being able to see that was awesome but they're also it was you know a blessing and a curse I was in the gym 24 7 getting work in because I was like all right she's going I'm going <laughs>
2: They're probably looking at you like if she's going, I'm going. I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> We're all looking at each other.
3: <laughs> Sebastian. Hey guys, thank you for being here first off. Oh, one sec. Yeah, there it is. Thank you for being here first off. My question for Cece obviously, you had a long and successful career. So you could probably speak on this a little bit
1: better than Sabrina may at this moment, but what has been the most challenging part of managing your earnings along your career as a pro? And then on the flip side of that, were there any moments or experiences that
3: helped you shape your business ventures and ideologies in a positive way?
4: Um, I think the, 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 the biggest thing of, um, you know, with, with my earnings was just not giving it away. I know that sounds crazy, but like just not crazy business ventures and not, you know, my uncle's this restaurant and these different parts, you know what I'm saying? Like, just figuring out what is is actually a good investment and what's not. Like, um, I think that was the the first thing that I, I figured out really quick, um, and and identify what I wanted to spend my money on, which is my foundation and helping kids and giving back. And you know, so if, it did, if 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 things didn't align with my mission and what my family's mission and my wife's, then we just didn't spend money on. it. You know what I'm saying? If it was outside, if it was other things outside of that, we just didn't spend money on it. So um, that was that was the. The easiest thing for, for me to to kind of, and like I was saying earlier in our conversation, for me to kind of say no and not be mean, but you know, to, I want to I'm trying to keep my money and you know grow my money for, for my family. So um, that that was the best thing that I could do is just really start my foundation, aligning my mission. If things didn't align with my mission, then I wouldn't spend the money on it. That makes sense. Thank you. All
2: right, so we have two more, which will get us right on time. Julia.
1: Hi, everyone. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Sabrina, Cece. It's a pleasure to speak with all of you today. Um, my question today is for Cece. I'm actually from Queens, and I've grown up going to the Bronx and watching you play. So this is crazy. These circumstances brought us together today on Zoom. So <laughs> pleasure to speak with you today. So as a student athlete for my school softball team, I've been exploring a lot of passions outside of athletics as I approach the end of my college career. I have an Instagram blog that showcases New York style in the city streets that I photograph and create a lot of graphics for. And I've also had several ideas about starting a podcast to connect with other Gen Zers. I always encounter a negative force that keeps me from doing these things and I can't seem to get over that hurdle. What advice can you give to young adults like myself on how to stick to a passion and how can we discover one passion for ourselves when our head might be in 50 different directions with so many ideas at the same time?
4: Yeah, I mean, I like, I think you just got to go with it. If you want to start a podcast, start it. Like, me and Ryan, literally, I text him and was like, hey, bro, I, like, I, we have great conversations. Let's start a podcast. The next week, we started a podcast. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's not that hard to follow up on, on some of these things that, that you want to do. Um, you said you have a blog and, you, and, you know, um, on, on Instagram and you take these different pictures. I mean, I, that sounds interesting. So, you know, just expand off of that. I mean, I think – I don't think you have to lock into one thing either. Like if your passions, you know, you got different ideas, different things, like go after it. You know, I don't, I don't think you need to just single, singularly lock in on one thing. Um, you know, if, if you have different things that you're passionate about, you know, try to spend time equally on all of them.
1: That's
3: true. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thank I also, you. I, I, also oh, think yes, I have something to say too, although you didn't ask me the question, but well, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I also think now, like hearing you ask that question, like, don't, don't be afraid of failure. If you are like worried about starting a podcast because you don't know if people are going to listen or if you're afraid of going into this you know, category or whatever it is, because you're afraid it's not going to work out. I think kind of you know, like doing that is, is going to be worse for you than just going out, trying it. And dealing with the adversity, because I I think at the end of the day, if you kind of put yourself in uncomfortable situations and go out on a limb and try things and you're uncomfortable, that's a great opportunity to grow. And then maybe from that opportunity, you'll figure out something that you fall in love with and really like to do. And then that's your passion. So I think don't be afraid of like making a mistake or failing. I think try it, learn from it. You'll get new um, opportunities from that and then, you know, see where that takes you.
1: For sure.
2: I will say also, not that you asked me at all. (laughs)
1: Please, I'd love love your comment also, please.
2: But I will say that whatever the circumstances around that negative force, that thing has to go because the energy that you have, those 50 million things in your head, you just got to harness that. That's good. That's a good skill. Um, So get that negative force as far away from you as possible. If you can.
1: I'll try, but thank you for that. Yeah, I always have so many ideas and then I try to do so many things at once and I try to figure out what what am I passionate about, but I always struggle to like really stick to it and see which one's best.
2: You could do one at a time as well. You get it's a marathon out here.
1: For sure. New York is always the hustle, right? (laughs) Thank you so much, everyone.
2: Bye Julia. All right, so last question, Jake Bronson. Jake, welcome. Oh, look at that. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, My question has to do with personal branding. Um, That is something that has become very, it's all for anyone who wants to answer it. Um, It's very common in sports nowadays. And uh, one person I was thinking of is Trevor Bauer, who uses a lot of merchandising and social media nowadays. So my question was, what do you guys think is the best way to brand yourself, both from the perspective as an athlete, as well as aspiring students like, all of us who are attending
4: um i think it's i mean different ways you can brand yourself i mean obviously you can use the trevor bauer route you know super aggressive um going at people on twitter using his merchandise you know uh using his clips and stuff or you could just let your play talk too you know i, I see the Derek jeter respect poster in the back you know what i'm saying like he wasn't doing none of those things but obviously he was one of the bigger athletes you know in, in his era so I think if if you know if you want to just go out and 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 lock in and concentrate on being great at your field and and, and um, what you're good at, people will notice that too. But if you want to you know praise yourself and give yourself flowers like Trevor Byer likes to do, I mean I don't see I don't see anything wrong with that either. Thank you, Jake.
2: All right, well, guys, thank you. This is the last Border University of the season, CC. You got to go. Thanks for staying late, Sabrina. Thank you. Justin, Pepsi, thank you. And thanks to all the schools represented. We're all New York Yorkers here.